1: I'm Maeve McLennigan, and this is The Tip-Off, the podcast where we take you behind the scenes of some of the UK's best investigative journalism. On the 27th of September 2016, England football manager Sam Allardyce walked to the end of his drive. There he met a crowd of reporters, and amongst the click of cameras, he began to speak. I think that, um, on reflection, it's a silly thing to do, but um, just to let everybody know, I sort of helped out what was somebody I'd known for 30 years. Unfortunately, it was an error in judgment on my behalf, and uh, I paid the consequences. It was his 67th day on the job, and his last. But this story doesn't start there. The story of how we get to this point begins two years earlier.
0: My name's Claire Newell and I'm the investigations editor at The Telegraph.
1: Claire Newell is not really into football. She's not a complete novice. I mean, she knows what the offside rule is.
0: Well, yes, but only because I learnt it when I was at school.
1: But when it comes to dodgy dealings in sport, she's something of an expert. In 2015, she produced a series of scoops looking into corruption and bribery in FIFA. So when a source approached her about malpractice closer to home, she knew how big a story
0: it could be. It was at the beginning of the year, so maybe January or February, and it was just a snippet of information. I don't think the source was thinking, oh, this will lead to a story, but it certainly did merit further investigation and sparked off all kinds of thoughts
1: The source told her that two football managers were taking bungs to transfer players.
0: That's quite an interesting tip to get and I found it quite intriguing. So over quite a long time actually, maybe six months or nine months, maybe even a year, started trying to piece things together. So initially had a look, who were these two managers, what deals had they done, what evidence could we find? that maybe they had accepted bungs.
1: The suggestion was that if you paid enough money, you could get a player moved to another football club, a practice that would have definitely broken football association rules. It was a fascinating tip, but Claire knew full well that investigating that lead wasn't going to be easy.
0: It's a very closed world, I guess, that and that's the problem with football. So getting evidence is very tricky.
1: So Claire's team had the vague suggestion that something questionable was going on. But what then? Where do you start?
0: Well, I guess you normally kind of sit back and think, okay, if I'm going to prove that these managers are taking bungs, how would I go about doing it? So kind of plot out, well, who would know this piece of information?
1: Claire and her team set off on a mission to talk to as many sources as possible. They wanted to know if this allegation could possibly be right. And if so, did it begin and end with just those managers that original source mentioned? But finding those people to speak to was half the battle. Claire started by searching online.
0: I think some people normally leave a footprint, don't they? So you can normally find where people live.
1: She pulled out names and addresses of people she wanted
0: to talk to and soon found herself on a doorstep. And then sometimes it's just a case of banging on their door and asking them some questions. And personally, I think that's often the best way to do it because if they've got a job and they've got a particular boss, that boss might not want them talking to a journalist. So if you can just sound them out discreetly, just on background, just running some things past them, then you're also protecting them because it may be that no-one ever needs to know that they've spoken to you unless they decide otherwise.
1: One doorstep conversation would lead to another, as Claire and her team ran down as many leads as they could.
0: Plenty of kind of banging on doors, ringing people up, trying to get them to tell you, on background, what happened.
1: But it didn't always go well. There were times when she had doors slammed in her face.
0: I think all investigations involve um, doors been slammed in your face, sadly. Uh... But that's just how it is, and you keep going. Still, soon they were building a picture that extended way
1: beyond the two managers that First Source had mentioned.
0: We spoke to so many sources who gave us examples of managers and agents paying, receiving bribes in relation to player transfer. I think we must have tried to at least speak to dozens of people, and then some of those will slowly speak to you over a period of time giving you more and more information that better informs your investigation. In the process of doing that, we ended up with a list of lots of names of people who were doing questionable things, whether it was bribes or third party or just kind of questionable activities. At least they were alleged to be doing questionable things.
1: But there was a complication. The people Claire and her team were finding were useful But no one would go on the record and be quoted about what they'd seen. So after months of work, they had notepads full of names and allegations, but no way to tell the story.
0: You're kind of building up a list of clues, really, uh, and then trying to see where you can get to. So at that point, you can't write the story, because even if you've got... Two or three sources all saying a particular manager or agent does X, Y, and Z, it's going to be one person's word against another. So it's very, very hard to prove.
1: After several months of talking to sources off the record and gathering evidence, Claire and her team paused. Laying out what they had in front of them, it was a lot, but not enough to definitively tell the story.
0: And that's when they decided I think we make a decision that. We need to go undercover. We need to use subterfuge to try to infiltrate the world of football in order to get proof about the things that are going on. So that's what happened. Undercover
1: reporting is hard. It's not just a case of putting on a disguise and picking up the phone. First, there's a whole heap of editorial and legal considerations to work through.
0: It's quite a big deal, actually, going undercover for most news organizations, certainly for papers and broadcasters. Um, So we had lots of off-the-record sources identifying people that they were saying were involved in questionable activities. And the same names kept coming up. So you wouldn't be able to write that story at that point because you don't have any proof. And you're kind of missing parts of the information, aren't you? Because say if someone has done a slightly questionable deal, normally it would be done between two people. The paperwork may not even reflect it. So really, the only way you can find out is being involved in that deal. That's the only way you can get the proof. And as part of deciding whether to use subterfuge or not, you've got to say, is it in the public interest? Well, undoubtedly, corruption, greed, questionable activities in English football is going to be in the public interest to expose. So you can go ahead on that basis. Next question, is there any other way to find out this piece of information? Well, we'd spent maybe almost a year trying to prove it by speaking to sources, looking at documentation, And we'd realize that there wasn't going to be any proof and it wouldn't really be in anyone's interest to tell us, oh yeah, I was involved in that dodgy deal. You
1: also need to get proof that the activities are going on already. That's called prima facie evidence. And once you have all that in place, you have to work out who it is you're going to pretend to be. Claire's team couldn't very well impersonate football players or managers so what else?
0: What you normally try to do when you're thinking, thinking of an undercover operation is mimic what's already going on. And we had a couple of examples of foreign companies who were surprised by their culture in English football in terms of some of the kind of questionable deals. So we just tried to think through same question in what circumstance would some of these dodgy agents be willing to tell us about some of their kind of worst activities some of their bribes for example well it's most likely if you're new to the game
1: they decided to set up a fake company they'd say it was based in europe but wanted to expand to the uk And that way, they had a reason to approach the agents that they'd identified during that first phase of the investigation.
0: And almost to hire them, I guess, as consultants, which would mean you would be saying to them, OK, tell us how it works. How do we get our players into English football? And if someone is involved in kind of questionable activities, no matter what it is, I think we took the decision that that would be the circumstance within which they'd be most likely to take us into their confidence, to tell us, this is what we've been doing and this is how you do it.
1: Okay, so they had a plan, but then they needed to make sure their backstories were airtight.
0: I think it's always better to fully prepare in these kind of situations because it might be that you Don't get asked loads of questions, but at least if you've thought through who you are, where did you grow up, where do you live, what job did you used to do, where did you go to university, have you got a boyfriend or girlfriend, then if someone asks you that question, it's not going to be a surprise, and you're not going to stumble, you're not going to think, oh God, I shouldn't have said that, because you would have thought it all through in advance. So generally, it's better to prepare.
1: And it wasn't just the backstories they had to get straight. Undercover work can involve a surprising amount of administrative tasks. Claire's team had to build all the materials that a real company would have.
0: You would have a website, you would have business cards, you would have emails, email addresses, phone numbers, that kind of thing. Everything a normal company would have because you've got to potentially withstand a little bit of probing by the subjects of your investigation.
1: So with their website, business cards and everything else ready, the journalists were ready to start making approaches.
0: One of the agents who had been identified to us was this man called Scott McGarvey. Now Reporters met Scott McGarvey on several occasions last summer and over the course of these meetings, McGarvey disclosed bribes he'd paid to particular managers before, in some cases going into what player it was all about, where he paid the money, when he paid the money. It all seemed quite credible.
1: McGarvey was a goldmine of information, And he wasn't slow to drop names. One day, when he was talking about football managers he knew, he mentioned someone of particular interest. He
0: said he was very close to Sam Allardyce.
1: Sam Allardyce, also known as Big Sam, had managed Sunderland and West Ham, but in the summer of 2016 had been awarded the top job in English football, England manager.
0: Uh, McGarvey said that... He knew Mr Allardyce very well and he thought that the undercover reporters was well, he didn't know the undercover reporters the fake businessmen rather should approach Mr Allardyce
1: McGarvey was suggesting approaching him to offer him some employment as an ambassador for Clare's company
0: If you're going to do sports management in the UK who better to have than the head of English football? Well I thought this was quite surprising, because not knowing very much about football, I would have thought the England manager would have been very, very busy. But according to Mr. McGarvey, he said that actually Sam Allardyce had much more time on his hands now that he was England manager. And so he scoped him out. He asked Sam Allardyce, would you be interested in meeting this company to discuss some kind of business opportunity? And Mr Allardyce was interested in having that meeting. And in fact, he had two meetings with undercover reporters.
1: And so it was that in a hotel in central London, undercover journalists met with Sam Allardyce.
0: The location was chosen by McGarvey. He said, let's have this meeting with Allardyce in Mayfair at a particular hotel. So that's what happened. So Allardyce turned up couple of undercover reporters and Allardyce brought along um, his agent and another associate as well to discuss the potential business deal. So ultimately the meeting had about six or seven people in it and was quite large.
1: The group ordered drinks. And got talking.
0: And actually, there was a very funny moment when um, a member of the public came up to Allardyce in the middle of the meeting and wanted his picture with him. <laughs> and in some ways, it just reminds you, doesn't it, that that's the draw of being the England manager.
1: The subject soon turned to possible money-making ventures
0: for Allardyce. Um, and during this meeting, talked about how he could do speeches for the Far Eastern Company, and discussed a deal of about four hundred thousand, I think, which was a hundred thousand per speech, and there were going to be four over the year.
1: Here's some audio from the secret filming of that day. And the fees will be sensible. I would have thought hundred thousand pounds a time. You might not have got that, but it's the group working out that Allardyce would be paid £100,000 a time for four speeches. Now that was interesting enough, but in further conversations, Allardyce and his associates mentioned something else.
0: The issue with third-party ownership came up.
1: Third-party ownership is when a person or business owns a stake in a football player, and as such profits when that
0: player is transferred. And third party ownership is banned. And it's the reason it's been banned is because it's seen by some people as a form of slavery. It means that the player is never free. Why are they being moved? On whose interest is it? Those kind of things. third party
1: ownership. Yeah, well I mean there are there are ways there are ways around that as I understand it. It's a tricky business. And certainly not something the team expected the England manager to
0: be talking about so freely. And Allardyce's response was interesting. He said, it's not a problem that there were ways round the rules. And then he went on to explain how it might work in practice. Now, what's interesting about this is he was England manager at the time. So it is pretty questionable for him to be explaining how to get round these rules to people he's never met before because he appears to be condoning getting round the rules, something he's always denied, of course.
1: Now, to be clear, Allardyce was not saying he'd ever had involvement in this. He was simply advising people he believed were foreign business owners of the fact that people get around the ban on third-party ownership. Throughout the meeting, Claire's reporters were wearing hidden cameras. And that's always nerve-wracking.
0: I guess... um. When it comes to wearing hidden cameras, it can be quite a complicated business because you're just trying to think, okay, we really need to get clear sound and a clear shot, even though we don't work for a broadcast. those things are still important. So normally, um, people will wear a camera on their body somewhere, or maybe in a bag. Problem with a bag is the uh, shot could be obstructed. So... This I think the safest way is to wear something on your body. But um, you always need a backup, don't you? So you'd normally have some kind of um, backup recording going on and you would normally have someone sitting elsewhere in the restaurant to get a wide shot because if it comes to making a film or something like that, you might want to use those as establishing shots. And, of course, it is just a good ultimate backup if the whole thing goes wrong.
1: Listening back to the tape of that meeting, Claire knew she had a story. But it wasn't just Allardyce that came up in this investigation. Over the course of ten months, Claire's team were introduced to all kinds of people in the footballing world. Some were household names, like Harry Redknapp. He mentioned to reporters that he thought his players were betting on the outcome of the game. And they're all looking at me all the lad, like, Because I didn't know they had a bet. Because they were all choked, they all had a spread bet everything. However, he later strenuously denied knowing that for sure, saying he was not aware of players betting on the match at the time. Then there were other much more serious dealings. Like when the agents they were talking to introduced the undercover reporters to then assistant manager of Barnsley Football Club, Tommy Wright. The agents told the reporters they could pay Tommy Wright £5,000 in cash.
0: Because then he would help the company get players and that he would help um, the club take their players as well as kind of signing uh, future ones. So actually there was quite a nerve-wracking meeting in Leeds where this money was handed over to Wright, which is now being investigated by the police. Wright has since lost his job at Barnsley, but denies all um, wrongdoing. A spokesman for
1: Tommy Wright told The Telegraph, Any suggested acts contrary to criminal law, or those of the FA and FIFA, are categorically denied. So they're months into the investigation, and the web of dodgy dealings is growing ever wider the undercover reporters continue to meet with agents and managers.
0: Normally, these meetings take place in restaurants or hotels, really. Um, Sometimes over lunch, uh, and there were a couple of lunches between agents and the undercover reporters where the agents went into great detail about some of their activities. But actually, there was just also a lot of chat on the phone. So the agents especially were on the phone to the undercover reporters a lot, updating them on what was going on, what particular managers were saying, what players they were looking for, who was moving where, how things could be targeted. So in many ways, their agents drove the investigation.
1: But alongside that, Claire and her team are hunting down the documentary evidence to support these allegations.
0: You've got to try to cross-reference. Is it true what they're saying? You have to try to independently stand it up and see whether sources are able to corroborate what they're saying. So often when you do a piece of undercover reporting, it's only the start of it, really, because you don't want to report those allegations willy-nilly. You need to try to see, are they credible? The team turned to online databases where they were able to
1: piece together bits of the puzzle.
0: There are various websites that exist that uh, have a player biography on them. So then you can kind of see, oh, they've moved from this club to that club over a period of time, sometimes on loan, how much has been paid. But then you would want to try to corroborate that information um, independently as well, rather than relying upon a website.
1: Often they were successful. Stories they'd been told over wine and steak in plush hotels were borne out in the documents and transfer records. But sometimes the pieces didn't fit so neatly, and even when they found the right names online, the transactions and transfers weren't always clear.
0: Yes, so you can see um which players have gone where. You should be able to see which agents have represented particular players. However, it's not always that straightforward. So one of the things we came across as part of this investigation is that sometimes it appeared several agents were on a particular deal. But if you looked at the paperwork, you would see the name of one agent. So there was certainly a lot going on behind the scenes. And then there were plenty
1: of leads that just didn't go anywhere.
0: I think there were puzzles that i could never solve so for example there were some transfers that we were looking at that were that appeared to be really dodgy or we had some details about say a player that went between two clubs but i was never sure in some cases the name of the player and that's really tricky And so there are some things that I still can't answer now. And unfortunately, people aren't really up for giving us all the information because they'd be implicating themselves in some kind of dodgy behavior
1: Claire and her team had a mountain of stories. They'd met with dozens of people and pulled out reams of documents to support the claims they had heard. The next thing to do was to go to all the people involved, lay their cards on the table and give them the opportunity to correct
0: or comment on the findings. And actually that's quite a time-intensive process because some of the letters can be quite detailed and you've got to make sure you're setting out the allegations properly so anything you intend to say in the paper you've got to make sure you've put it to them you've got to make sure that you've checked the rules that you've understood it properly so in many cases those letters can go on for pages and pages and when it comes to fronting people up or putting allegations to people, it can actually be quite a difficult process. I don't think it's much fun to call someone up and say, we're going to be writing this about you. We've been carrying out an undercover investigation into your affairs. That's never going to be a nice telephone call. So it's actually quite a nerve-wracking process, especially because most investigative reporters are very diligent and really care about getting things right and being fair to people. So there's a lot of responsibility with running these big investigations.
1: The responses came back. Sometimes angry letters from lawyers. Sometimes no comment. In one case, a manager saying, who gives a shit about that? Finally, in late September, The Telegraph published their first story. They splashed with the headline, England manager, Sam Allardyce, for sale. The story detailed how Allardyce had negotiated a £400,000 deal and offered advice to businessmen on how to get around FA rules on player transfers. Over the next five days, they ran front page after front page of stories, exposing a world of questionable dealings and in some cases, corruption. The story took off.
0: To be honest, You never really know um, what's going to happen when you put your investigation out there. It's always a bit of a surprise when it runs really big. Um, And this one certainly did. It took off very quickly. Within 24 hours of that first story running,
1: Sam Allardyce and the FA had agreed to part ways. The agreement was done uh, very amicably with the FA. Uh, Apologised to those and all concerned that it was in those unfortunate situations i put myself in, so... Uh... A, a very difficult 24 hours, um, in the light of the media allegations that we've seen, we've concluded and Sam's agreed that his behaviour has been inappropriate and frankly not what is expected of an England manager discussing a range of issues from potential contraventions of FA rules through to personal comments that frankly just don't work when you're the manager of England.
0: That propels the story onwards. And then, of course, we had the next day's revelations about the agents, followed by another manager. And so, it just kept on going. Soon, some of the top football
1: pundits were weighing in, including Alan Shearer, Ian Wright, and Jermaine Jenas. Well, first and foremost, I was angry and sad. Um, did have a little bit of sympathy with Sam, but when you look at the whole picture, it was such a huge misjudgment, such a huge error. You know what I mean? It's it, it, that's happened, and you, you hear Gary Lineker, and he's come out and he's rightly said that corruption in football's rife, and you're seeing what they're doing with with Sam. And I'm t- as much as I'm, I'm I'm gutted for him, simply because it's taken such a long time to get this dream job. I could, I c- you know, people say he was earning three million, and. You know, it was a four hundred thousand pound deal for maybe half an hour at a time at hundred thousand pounds. It's a lot of money to to turn down, but at the same time, you you, you can't say anything other than you know, greed's got to, got to play a part in that. You've got to say yeah, and it's not you know it's not ideal you know for, for English football to be you know caught up in this type of situation. Uh, so I think the right decision was was made. It is a shame for for Sam. I mean, literally lot, like won the lottery ticket and. And lost the ticket in the same day, honey. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's as bad as it gets, really. Allardyce had not given a response to Claire before the article broke, but afterwards he gave a statement saying, It was a great honour for me to be appointed back in July and I am deeply disappointed at this outcome. He went on to say, although it was made clear during the recorded conversations that any proposed arrangements would need the FA's full approval, I recognise I made some comments which might have caused embarrassment. He later said he had been a victim of entrapment. Agent Scott McGarvey called it entrapment with a capital E, too. This is not just Monday to Friday. This is thirteen weeks of dozens of emails Hundreds of texts, hundreds of calls, and bringing more than seven or eight innocent people into the story, he said. But head of the football association, Greg Clark, supported the work the Telegraph had done. He said, Where you don't have an inquisitive free press, very dark things happen in the corners of the world which are hidden. There is nothing wrong with using what techniques you have to use to expose wrongdoing. And the stories would reverberate outside of the world of professional football too.
0: Well, the City of London Police are investigating some aspects of the uh, investigation that we did. And it would be interesting to see what happens as a result of that. Uh, Certainly, if there are any prosecutions, that may well change the culture in English football. Once the police have finished investigating, then all our material will be given to the Football Association. And I think there's probably quite a lot of stuff there that they might want to get into. They certainly want to speak to the people involved, I should think. And do they really want agents like that, for example, working in English football? Probably not. And so maybe they need to tighten things up a little bit. And then there was political impact. There has been a parliamentary hearing about uh, the investigation that we published. Greg Clark had to, um, he was kind of grilled about the appointment of Allardyce. I think when Parliament are debating your story, at least it means that people are taking it seriously. It had been almost two years in the making,
1: but Claire and her team had blown the lid off dodgy dealings in the British football leagues. What comes of the F.A. and the police investigations is yet to be seen. But for Claire and her team, it wasn't long before they filed away their work, ready to start on the next project.
0: Yeah, uh, so you publish a big story, you feel pleased and it's gone well. normally quite tired. (laughs) But then a couple of days later, or maybe a week later, you start to think, well, what am I going to do next? And then you start to... Rack your brains about what other stories you've got. Are you capable of ever getting a story ever again? So that's normally the process that you go through. Are you any more interested in football now since the investigation's out? Not really. <laughs> no, I don't know. This is but a lot more interesting. Now I do know the names of some managers.
1: <laughs> that's all from this episode of The Tip Off. Thanks to Claire Newell You can find links to her stories in the show notes. Next time. So, over the course of the several months, you, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of totally false positives and things like that. Moments of hope that would then be crushed. The Guardian's Holly Watt explains how she played a part in the world's biggest cross-border investigation, the Panama Papers. This has been The tipper, hosted and produced by me, Maeve McClanagan. Our theme music is by Dice Muse, Another music in this episode is by Claire Marks. You should check out her stuff on SoundCloud, Claire Marks Music. There's just two more episodes in this series, and it's been so wonderful to see you all tweeting and supporting the show. If you have a minute, please do leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps, apparently. And tweet at TipOffPodcast so we can spread the word about some great investigative stories. And stay tuned...